Well, hey, we have the, uh, the honor and the privilege this morning. Um, I'm going to introduce a new friend of mine. And I was just thinking about this. What, what a, this is a lethal combo. He is the reverend and doctor. Whoa, reverend and doctor Chuck Hunt. So let's give him a round of applause. <clears throat> uh, the Reverend the Doctor is a pastor of over 25 years in ministry, and he's currently the family ministry pastor at Lake Avenue Church, which is just um, up a little bit here in Pasadena. Um, over the years, Chuck has seen the power and necessity of ministering to families as a whole, and he loves to encourage other disciples to do the same. He's passionate about the gospel and how it impacts our everyday life. Um, he has a wife, Shannon, who I believe is here. So let's give Shannon a round of applause. They've been married for 22 years, and they have an 18-year-old daughter named Ryan um, who goes to school actually where I just came from in the U.K., which is awesome. And then lastly, but I think probably the best thing, and this is the bio that Chuck gave me. So it says, and though cleverly disguised as a responsible adult, Chuck still loves surfing, skateboarding, and dances when he gets the chance. You have the chance to dance right now. And, and, and I may. Okay. And I may. I'll leave it at that, and I'm getting off the stage. <laughs> Uh, there's a rumor um, <clears throat> floating around that uh, I know Brock Morgan, um, and, and the rumor is kind of true. Um, I don't know that anybody ever really knows Brock. Um, uh, he's all over the place, but yeah, we go back uh, way, way, way far in ministry. Uh, matter of fact, to the, to the second church that I was at, second church he was at, we uh, served together in high school. I was a high school director. He was middle school director. Um, this was a long time ago, and it's just a blessing to be here. So um, if you don't like anything that I say, then you can blame Brock. Um, that's all his fault. Um, uh, you know, if, if you love it, then, um, you know, praise the Lord. Um, one of the things that Bro uh, Brock and I enjoy is, uh, is the water, is the ocean, uh, surfing. I definitely enjoy that a lot. I grew up in Huntington Beach. Um, just uh, down the road. I was born in Virginia. That's a longer story I won't get into. Um, but I love being able to actually enjoy not only that, but uh, I enjoy the mountains as well. Um, and I'm excited that uh, this particular passage that we jump into talks about both of those things. If you haven't at all ever been to the beach and been to the mountains in the same day in California, I highly recommend it. It is so much fun. And I'm actually going to tell you how to do it because a lot of people go to the beach first and then the mountains. But what you really want to do is go to the mountains first and then the beach um, the reason for that is that you go to the mountains first, you can enjoy the day up there, you come back down to the beach, and you do like the beach bonfire at night just to end your, end your night. There's only a few beaches you can do that now, but that's the way you do it. So you don't do like early morning beach, and then you're like, what am I doing now? I gotta go to the mountains, I don't wanna drive up there. It's just a way to do it. So, so now you have the, the official way to pull that off in this particular space called California. Jesus goes to the beach and the mountains a lot. Spend some time in Galilee, and he spends some time on top of mountains, and this particular passage we're stepping into is a moment in Mark where Jesus engages the beach and the mountains in a way that helps tell a story. But in order to step into that, we need to know a little bit more about where we've come to. 
So, what do we know? We know that the presence of Jesus and the confirmation of John the Baptist are clear indicators that the time has come for the kingdom of God to appear. When the kingdom of God is in our midst, there is a response that should elicit repentance and faith. Kingdom of God, when it's on display, attracts all kinds of people. Jesus calls disciples. The crowds show up and they're amazed by Jesus and the aspects of the kingdom on display, so much so that Jesus can no longer enter into a town openly. He's got to go by secret. The kingdom and Jesus also attract plenty of opposition. Why? Because the kingdom of God breaks the established rules for culture. Jesus forgives sins. He eats with tax collectors and sinners, casts out the demonic, heals on the Sabbath, exposing the opposition of the kingdom, both religious and political. He does all of that before lunch. And in our passage, he does all of that before chapter 2. But then Mark inserts this narrative shift. And it is a narrative shift. It's a, it's a stop and, and restart. It's a, it's a stop and then, and then go. And that's where we come to our passage this morning. Mark, chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. And a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him, for he healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and they might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave Bojaner, which means son of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Would you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, you've given us this word, you've given us these words that Mark wrote down so many years ago so that 
we might understand more about who you are and why you're in our lives. So God, I pray in your mercy and grace that you would cause these words to come off of the page and alive in our experience like never before, for we pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. This is the first of a few sections in Mark where a complete shift takes place. The stories before are not necessarily connected to those that follow, but Mark continues to build on that which we know from the reading. He narrates this story so that we're drawn along like a movie and we process what is happening in us as he tells us. That is what this narrative break does. Uh, The most significant of these narrative breaks happens in chapter 8, but that's another story. I love narrative breaks. I love breaks just in general. This is one of the movies that I, I absolutely love. Some of you may recognize it. It's The Shawshank Redemption the end of the Shawshank Redemption. If you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it for you. It's about a prison break. It's about two friends. And this is the second of the friends who gets out a little bit later than the first friend. His name's Red. And Red is invited by a letter to come to this particular place. He's, he's invited by his, his first friend to come to this particular place if he ever got out of prison so that, so that he might see something that was left there. Red gets to the end of this rock wall. He finds the little stone. He uncovers it, and he finds a letter. And in that letter, he's invited to come on the journey with his other friend. And he uses these words. If you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little further. That's what Mark's doing in the gospel. He's saying, if you've come this far, if you've listened this far, if you're you're engaged this far, maybe you're willing to come a little further. So church, if you've come this far, Maybe you're willing to come a little further. We're now at the beach in Galilee. The beach is crowded. People have come from a long way to hear what Jesus will teach, to understand this phenomenal healer and possibly get something to make their lives just a little bit better, a little bit easier. There are so many people that have followed Jesus that he asks his disciples to get him a boat so that he can be away from the people so that he can preach. Side note, um, how many disciples are there? I heard someone say 12. (sighs) Up until this point, there's only five. Up until this point, there's only five disciples. He's only called five people up in in Mark. He's not hired everyone yet, in a matter of speaking. So at some level, what we're seeing is this sifting in front of us. There's not a whole lot of room. The beach is packed. 
And remember, we've already talked about this here. Jesus has become because, chapter 1, verse 15, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news, right? And verse 38, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach. That is why I have come. This is Jesus' own primary understanding of what he's here to do, to preach the kingdom of God so that people will understand it and that they will repent and have faith. Secondarily is what we see is the kingdom affects people. The kingdom that Jesus brings throughout Mark, specifically healing miracles. Throughout Mark, we find four exorcisms, eight physical healings, one raised from the dead. Additionally, we see three summaries of multiple healings and exorcism taking place in the midst of Jesus and the authority that he holds. In Luke, we find a little bit more understanding about Jesus and his purpose. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, sight to the blind, set free the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord. That's Luke 4, 18 and 19. Jesus comes to the sea and meets the crowds. He has to get in a boat so that he can actually preach. And not just heal people and cast out demons, though it's clear that he is capable of both. It's clear there's a priority in Jesus' mind and his actions. The scene is chaotic and messy. People on the beach are there so that they can get what they came for, not necessarily hear what Jesus wants to give. If you've come this far... Maybe you've come. Maybe you'll come a little further. Signs and wonders as an indication of the kingdom. See, at this point in the reading of Mark, there is, is a pretty impressive list of things that Jesus is capable of. It's almost like we're watching a play. Jesus is this confident and composed, direct and forceful, gentle and precise He's all of that at the same time. Jesus is confident and amazed all at once. It's the teachings and the miracles of Jesus and Mark that allow the disciples and the crowds and the opposition as well to see Jesus' power and authority. Mark 1, 21 through 28. His teaching exposes authority, leads to casting out of a demon. These signs and wonders that Jesus performed indicate three things. One, Jesus is an authentic messenger of God. You think back into the Old Testament, you'll find the same things of, of Moses, right? Moses shows up, and, and what happens around Moses? Authentic and real miracles. So that people will understand, wait, God has sent you. We see the same thing in Daniel. We see the same thing in the judges, right? We see God moving in miracles around people so that they would know that there is a messenger from God in their midst. Two, Jesus brings an authentic message from God. Hear this. The gospel isn't the gospel unless literal healing takes place. 
When, when, when we can teach that God is good, but if goodness doesn't follow, then our teaching is bankrupt. We can teach that God is a reconciler, but if we cannot be reconciled, then the teaching is bankrupt. The miraculous activity of the kingdom authenticates the miraculous message of the kingdom. Three, Jesus brings a sample of the coming kingdom. These are explicit and communal examples of the coming kingdom. People are healed so that they might engage in community. The outcasts are brought forth. He exercised the demonic in people's lives so that they would be freed, the captives would be freed, so that they might engage the community and be a part of what God is doing in their midst. All this is to say that they are the work of God restoring the created order. Brokenness to wholeness, pain to joy, despair to hope, illness to health, divorce of relationship to intimacy. Tim Keller speaks of the signs and wonders this way. He says, Jesus' miracles in particular were never magic tricks designed only to impress or coerce. Instead, he used miraculous power to heal the sick, feed the hungry, raise the dead. Why? We modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. Signs and wonders are not the kingdom because in the kingdom there is no need for signs and wonders. They expose the places where the kingdom is not and will now have authority. It is partly why Jesus continues to say, don't tell anyone. The mission of preaching and bringing the good news of the kingdom is in jeopardy when we put signs and wonders ahead of compassion. If you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little further. Jesus goes to the mountain leaves the beach and goes to the mountain. We don't know the time differentiation here. We're not sure exactly how long. But it is where he appoints the 12. He invites them to come. Somehow, getting through the crowd, he sees people and invites them to come. He sees them, and somehow he knows them enough to invite them to come. He knows their names enough because he's been around them. These are crowds from all over. Did you read the list? It's from everywhere around Galilee. It's from Jerusalem and further south in Jerusalem and even further south still. It's from the north and, and further north of Jerusalem. It's from the west and from the east. All of those places that were named are named so that we understand that people are coming from long, long journeys. And he chooses 12. And he names them. Simon P., James Z., John Z., Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, which is Levi, Thomas, James A., Thaddeus, Simon Z., Judas Iscariot. It's kind of like a bachelorette list. Simon Peter, James Zebedee, John Zebedee, 
This is, what, this is the first place where we get a list of names of, of the disciples. Somehow, someway, on that chaotic beach, Jesus walks around and he picks particular people to come and be with him. He identifies 12 who he believes will, one, be with him till the end, and two, will preach with authority. But how does he know? As for one, Jesus is right about 11 of the 12. That's an indication that discipleship is hard, y'all. Following Jesus can get hard in moments. See, Judas was not able to get his expectations and hopes and dreams out of the way so that he could be with Jesus till the end. Judas expected a king. Judas expected someone to overtake and overthrow the government. And at the end, what we find is Judas failing to understand that Jesus is the servant king. The others, they stumbled along, but were committed. So committed that it's the reason you and I are here right now. As to preaching Preaching is difficult. Jesus' authority comes from his radical obedience to God at the pressure point that is the inbreaking kingdom upon the resistant world. Jesus' authority is connected to his intimate understanding of God the Father and his will for him to preach the gospel to the poor proclaim the release to the captives, sight to the blind, set, the, set free the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord, recognizing Jesus' authority when preaching is part faith and part art. The twelve go out. They preach with authority. And as people are freed to experience the kingdom, the signs, and the wonders, they follow, but never for their enjoyment. The signs and wonders were not for their enjoyment. The signs and wonders are so that the, the world might see what the kingdom is doing and breaking in. In this way, signs and wonders are not for the church, but for the world. If you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little further. Though it would be easy to drive by this passage and not understand the fullness to which Mark is speaking, I want to draw your eyes to something you may have missed. Throughout the Old and New Testament, we can understand quickly that representations of the mountains and the sea. The sea is a place of great chaos and judgment. It's where Israel is gloriously rescued by the death of the Egyptians at the Red Sea. Both Jonah and Paul are shipwrecked on the sea. There are multiple places where the sea continues to take sins away and move people from where they are in a chaotic space and move them away from the sea. The sea is a dangerous place. It is a dark place. It is where Leviathan exists. It is only in Revelation where we find the sea as sheet glass as a representation of the peace is overflowing from the throne. The mountains, 
The mountains are a place where we go, where we see God, where we understand, where we get the mountains as a presence of God. It's a place where God gives the law, where God is victorious over Baal with Elisha. God will set on his throne on his holy what? Mountain. And where Jesus will become the true temple in Mark 11. I'll let y'all preach that one. What is happening at the Sea of Galilee is chaotic, and what happens at the mountain is cathartic. Why am I saying this? Because if we ask the question of Mark, what does this passage have to do with us? We need to ask ourselves, are we disciples, are we following Jesus for what Jesus can do with, for us at the sea, or are we disciples because what Jesus wants to do through us on the mountain? I've been in church long enough to know that there are moments where even I myself walk into the building and I just say, God, I need something from you. I need a healing. I need you to touch me. I need you to be with me. And man, God has obliged me more times than more times than he should have. Sometimes this discipleship thing is a self-serving pursuit. In our attempts to be closer to Jesus, to see what Jesus is doing, we make it difficult sometimes for others to see. We stand in front of them because we want, we want ours first. When our own expectations and agenda gets in the way of, of God's agenda, we cannot internalize what Jesus is teaching and we sell out Jesus for our own interests. See, remember when Jesus calls us to come as disciples, Jesus calls us to come and die. When we refuse to listen to the truth about our neighbor's crises and pain, we forget to save a seat for them near Jesus. When we're dismissive of our neighbor's poverty, of their captivity, of their blindness, of their oppression, we only proclaim the year of the Lord to ourselves and forget who the good news is for. In other words, our individual pursuit of righteousness and piety can be so self-focused that we forget to love our neighbor. We have to get our expectations and hopes and dreams out of the way so that we can be with Jesus till the end, but that won't happen at the sea. It only happens on the mountain. You see, the reason that Jesus invites the 12 to the mountain is because they were giving their lives away at the sea. He watched them do it there. He, they were moving people in front so that they might see they were already doing the ministry and they had never asked for anything for themselves. They were giving their lives away and so he invited them to give their lives away. And when he invited them to give their lives away, he empowered them to go do so with authority and power. And you watch the disciples do that for the rest of the time in Mark.
What is Jesus inviting us to as disciples? Verses 14 and 15, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority and to drive out demons. To be with him and send them out. See, our call to be disciples is our call to be Literally, that's what it says, to be with him, to be with Jesus, to sit with Jesus, to stand with Jesus. Meister Eckhart, old theologian, says this, there are plenty of people to follow our Lord halfway, but not the other half. They'll give up possessions, friends, honors, but it touches them too closely to disown themselves. So what do we need to do in order to be? One, we got to commit to Jesus. And, and, and I'm sorry, but that's, just, that's it. Like one, just there's one thing. To be with Jesus, you, one thing. There's not a list of things. Just commit to be with Jesus. I mean, I guess I could list all the other things that we, we do to be near Jesus, right? We read our scriptures, we pray, we come to church, we pray for others, we walk in ministry, we go out into the world. We can talk about all of those things, but really what Jesus says is, I want you to be with me. I came so that I might be with you. I came so that I could tear the veil so that you might be with the Father and that you might understand the power of the Holy Spirit in this world. God comes so that you might understand that in toto. And as I was praying for this congregation, for you all, this literally was the only thing that came to mind, commit to Jesus. Church, you have to be completely, concretely, unwaveringly, unchangingly committed to Jesus, the risen Christ. For when you are, he will use you. But what does this mean for you as an individual and you as a church? One, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself and live in the presence of God in such a way that you welcome transformation and you expect change. You welcome transformation, you expect change. I love this quote from Maya Angelou. She says, when I found that I knew not only that there was a God, there was God, but that I was a child of God. When I understood that, when I comprehended that, more than that, when I internalized that, ingested that, I became courageous. See, that's important because the second thing Jesus invites the 12 to do is to go. Y'all ready to go? 
Like, no, for real, to really go. Jesus invites you to go and preach. Remember, Jesus' authority comes from his radical obedience to God. Your authority will come from your radical obedience to God. And you have to stand at that pressure point of the inbreaking kingdom upon the resistant world. Jesus' authority is connected to his intimate understanding of God the Father and his will for him to preach the gospel to the poor, proclaim the release to the captives, sight to the blind, set free the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord, recognizing Jesus' authority when you preach is part of faith and art and we must go and preach with this and only this as our authority. Barbara Taylor says this, properly done preaching, it is a particular word to a particular people at a particular moment in time. The language and images and concerns all reveal a congregation as well as a preacher, which makes those who listen to a sermon collaborators in the creation and living of it. Two, you have authority to cast out demons. You have authority to cast out demons. I know we live in this world where sometimes that's a thing we don't like to talk about. But I don't know how to get around these moments in Scripture where Jesus lays up these moments where he says, this is what I want you to do. Go preach and then also have authority to cast out demons. When we preach with our words and our life, when we love one another, when we love our neighbor, the crowds, the disciples at the sea, the opposition, the rulers in heavenly places will have no option but to recognize Jesus in us. And that's when they nail out, you are working with the Son of God. And people will be freed to experience the kingdom with signs and wonders and follow, but not for their own enjoyment. The signs and wonders are so that what the world may see and repent and believe, and we have the power within ourselves to walk out of these doors and go do something miraculous. As I close, I want to invite the, the worship team up. Because when I say that about miraculous things that we get to do, everything in our, in our world isn't miraculous. It's interesting. It's exciting. You're going to go and you're going to get in your car and you're going to head back to your home and, or you're going to go out to lunch. And I don't know how miraculous that is. how miraculous it is when we, we haven't really ingested 
we haven't really taken on and understood the calling of Jesus in our everyday, day-to-day, once-a-day, twice-a-day, 20 times a day, praying through who we are being called to preach to. It's a long journey. As Dr. King once said, one of the great agonies of life is that we are constantly trying to finish that which is unfinishable. You and I as disciples are unfinished product, but we continue to lean into the life of Jesus that we might be called to the mountain so that we might be changed and sent out so that we might preach the good news to those who haven't heard it yet. God continues to beckon you to come, come closer, come further, come off the beach, come into the mountains so that you might know me and be with me, but also so that I might send you out. It's because of the love of Christ that our commitment can be renewed like mercies every morning. We'll choose to be on the mountain with Jesus so that you can go and love every human being created in God's image so that they will know us as the evidence of God's kingdom of righteousness and peace. You and I are unfinished. And it doesn't matter if you've been walking with Jesus for five minutes or 55 years. Jesus continues to beckon us to come further so that he might call us out as disciples, that he might know our name enough to say, yes, I want to send you, that he might tap you on the shoulder because he's watching you. So as the prayer team comes up, I I got a question for you. Are you on the sea? Are you in the mountains? And it's okay if you're in those places. Just know where you are and why you've come. And if you've come that far, Jesus is saying, come a little further. Are you in the crowd or do you desperately want Jesus to call you up to that mountain? Your life is going to be shifted and shattered and changed in such great ways. I can't tell you the kingdom of God is a place where signs and wonders are no longer needed. Are you here just to see what God will do? Or are you here to be what God will do through you? The prayer team is here so that you might come, that you might lay down the burden, the thing that you're carrying, 
that you might raise your hand and say, yes to Jesus, I've come this far. I want a little more so that you might call me a disciple so that I might affect the world for your glory. Bridge Church, commit to Jesus your way and he will direct your path.